Many times church leaders are removed from their positions because of serious sins. But how often do we consider how the congregation, the other leaders, have already been affected? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. Recently, Matt Chandler, who pastors a mega church in Texas, and is also the, the president of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, he had sin that was exposed. The, they don't use that terminology, but his congregation put him on in, indefinite leave because of certain actions. And We're strong pro- proponents of brothers and sister relationships. We believe in those because we believe the scriptures affirm those. It matters to us to fight for that in the best kind of way. But there are boundaries around what's appropriate in these kinds of friendships And a pastoral role requires greater awareness of those boundaries. In this case, the frequency and the familiarity of the messages crossed a line. They revealed that Matt did not use language appropriate for a pastor, and he did not model a behavior that we expect and that you expect a leader of our church to have. So even though they don't use the word sin, they clearly, you know, when they... In the next paragraph, they very explicitly say he's not disqualified. We just think that he needs to fix himself, which is kind of strange. But, but so they're, they're not saying sin, but they're basically saying he has some sin that he needs to deal with. And so that sin's being exposed. But what should the church think about and how the, should the church deal with such a situation to make sure that, that the problem is actually dealt with? Scripture talks about sin, and it talks about it in specific ways, and it compares it to things. It compares it to things like leaven, you know, yeast, and how yeast works, and it, it talks about it in ways that give us a sense of kind of the mechanics of sin and how, you know, how sin works in an environment. And I think as a, as a people, we don't think about sin in the way Scripture actually talks about it. I mean, you know, it's like if you, if you look at, like, our food processing industry, we think about bacteria and bacterial growth in very serious ways. We think about where it comes from. We think about how it spreads. We think about the danger points. We think about what exposure means, how long this can be left out. If it's been left out, what does it mean? How do you need to clean up? You come into a church and you actually talk about sin and people like to talk in very hand-wavy ways. They like to talk about things as if like if sin is found, that sin is only likely to be found there, that sin couldn't be anywhere else. And that's just not how Scripture actually talks about sin. And so I think what you said in your initial question at the beginning is, we don't think about the fact that if sin has been existing, if sin, you know, there, there are TV shows called like Kitchen Nightmares where they go into places and they look and they pull out things and they poke and they sometimes you'll see this one thing and then he starts going into the back room and he goes, oh no, this is much worse than I thought. And there's this part of it where we don't treat sin that way. And the church doesn't do it. We, you know, we just we find something and we go, well, that's probably all there was to be found. Let's just kind of let's pray for them and let's move on. And everything in Scripture says we shouldn't expect that. And it talks about the cost of sin and the cost of what it leads to being so serious that it's a really dangerous position for the church to be in. It's a really dangerous attitude to have. We don't treat sin the way God says it should be treated, and we don't think about it the way He's taught us to think about it. And so, like you said, this the point of this isn't. This really has very little to do with Matt Chandler. It's saying, 
hey, when you see something, you should actually use it to think about things. You should use it. There's a real opportunity here to go, how are we thinking about sin wrongly? And one of the points of church discipline is always supposed to be so the church should fear. Right. So, you know, we're not going to use this episode to speculate about what really happened with Matt Chandler, because there's a lot that's pretty opaque. We don't really know all the details, and we don't care. It's like, well, what what has been revealed is enough for us to pause and spend a podcast episode saying, how should we think about sin? Talking about this is not to beat up Matt Chandler. If this is to be read at face value, if we give them the charity of interpretation that says that they're revealing everything, it still shows us some real things that have happened that show about sin and talk about sin, because it's important to recognize that Acts 29 was planned by Mark Driscoll. Well, Mark Driscoll was famous for not using appropriate language. And when Matt Chandler was friends and was serving in Acts 29 with Mark Driscoll before Mark Driscoll was removed for his totalitarian t- style of leadership. I mean, everybody knew that Mark Driscoll uses inappropriate language. And so we should not step back and say, oh, once Mark Driscoll was removed, that of course everybody will say, oh, you shouldn't use inappropriate language. They had accepted it for many years before he was removed. And the idea that I mean, this has now become acceptable to use certain kind of language. And let's fix even our language as we talk about it. It's not inappropriate language. It's he sinned with his tongue. Right. You, you know what I mean? I'm not saying, you know what I mean? But that's literally where we've gotten to is because we have this idea, you know, the, the language has been used to even clean it up so that we remove sin from it. And in the end, I mean, Mark Driscoll sinned with his tongue. Right. They did. I mean, they don't use the word sin anywhere in their statement that I could find. I mean, right. I read the statement, but I didn't, like, search it to make sure. Right. But they looked into um, the, the conversation between me and um, this other woman, uh, and they had some concerns. Um, and those concerns were not that our messaging was romantic or sexual. It was that our conversations were unguarded and unwise. And because I don't ever want there to be secrets between us, the concerns were really about frequency and familiarity. We believe in brother-sister relationships here. Um, And yet there was a frequency that moved past that, and there was a familiarity that played itself out in coarse and foolish joking. It's unbefitting uh, of someone in my position as a lead pastor And as an elder, I'm held to a higher standard and fell short of that higher standard. Um, So so the elders have decided, and I think they're right, that my inability to see what I was in uh, probably has some, revealing some unhealth in me. And I don't know if that's tied to the pace I run or the difficulty of the last six, seven years, but I agree with them. They use inappropriate. They use he did things that were you know unbecoming of a pastor. They use all these things to use euphemism for the word sin. And the reality is, part of the way you deal with sin is you call it sin. I mean, there's there's a in the confession there's a phrase that talks about particular sin must be repented of particularly, and and that sounds like this over a complication, but it's really not in the sense of, and it's again it's the hand wave way we want to treat about it. I've had some sin, and I just and I just need to deal with it in a sort of like. And sometimes the other person you're talking to doesn't have to know the details, but if it's hand wavy with you, if you're treating it like there's just some 
I mean, you know, it's like if you're if you're doing anything, you have to deal with it at a granular level. I mean, if you're weeding a garden, you don't just go out and move your hands and pick up weeds. No, you grab each weed and you pull it up. Or you get something and you spray it on the weeds. And you get something that's designed to kill those types of, you know what I mean? It's, it's very specific. And I think there's this part of it where everybody pretends like it's not specific. But sin has to be dealt with in that way. And so... While we're not going to speculate about things, there is this part of it where one of the dangers of, of being overly opaque in things when you talk about it is, is you treat sin as if it's not something that gets dealt with in specific ways. I was real disoriented um, when this happened because I didn't understand how it happened. I mean, I'm a, I'm a man who guards his life and doctrine fairly closely. And so I was disoriented by the fact that, um, man, one, that the accusation came and then um, I, I was confused by even some of the things that progressed after that. And um, I, I do think um, that it revealed some unhealth in me that was a, a blind spot that, that I just couldn't see. The elders asked me to do um, two intensives and, um, and then a neurological exam. And then, uh, which if you don't know my backstory, we, we probably needed to do that, right? I, I don't have a right frontal lobe, um, if you remember that back in 09. Um, if you're a guest, I had brain cancer and I had to do some surgery and some, and man, I, I think that that process has given me insight into exactly what happened. Um, so that I don't have to be anxious about that or nervous about that, but I'm sorry, um, for any burdens I've caused or difficulties that my, um, foolishness kind of brought about in your own journey with the Lord. I mean, the Bible's really clear that we're supposed to expose sin that we are the light of the world and we are supposed to expose it. And to be honest, their statement is sinful because they're just saying inappropriate language. That leaves all this speculation, that leaves all kinds of acceptable things in the congregation. And if you want to deal with the sin, probably the congregation has already seen it. They're already accepting it at some level, to say this isn't really sin because Matt Chandler does it, so it must be okay. And unless you come out and say, you know, he used profanity in the messages and vulgar language is not appropriate, or whatever it is. I don't even know what he did because right. it doesn't say it. But you don't actually remove the sin from the congregation unless you have some specificity, unless you actually expose the sin. And all they did was expose that he's a sinner. They didn't expose the sin. And, and the thing, too, is it's saying language appropriate for a pastor. So, I mean, what what language out there is there that, you know, that it's fine for someone else to use but not a pastor? He didn't speak in an outline form. I mean, maybe there is something like that, but I'm not sure what it would be. I mean, Amy Bird wrote an article, and I, I mean, I don't know much about Amy Bird. My, my inclination is, is I wouldn't agree with her on a lot of things. But Amy Bird writes an article, and I actually agreed with her on, she kind of said, she goes, there's this part of it where, because of the way you've said it, there are going to be people speculating as to what it means in relationships to cross the line. And right. people are going to make up fake rules. Because the effect is, is you should intuitively know. So there are going to be people who are going to go, well, you know, if somebody goes, whoa, whoa, you're crossing a line, it's going to be fine to just say you're crossing a line and that'd be sufficient to define it as you've done something wrong because this was sufficient. It was sufficient to remove someone to communicate it to the congregation at that level. So you're going to have all these made up rules of behavior because you, like you said, if you if you say it was if you say it was vulgarity, and you say you have to actually say what it means to be vulgar, 
because vulgarity means something different than to be profane. to be profane right. or to you know to say to say things that are heretical or to the, you know I mean those are very different sins. But you can lump them all into language inappropriate, right? Right. <laughs> Jesus is not the son of God. Well, that's language inappropriate right. for a pastor. People, well, that's also heresy. Right. And people are going to ask what is it what does it mean to be close? What what is the boundary between men and women? What is this, you know what I mean, and these are important things to actually teach people for the life of the church. And they're stepping back and everybody's speculating and going, well, you know, he didn't uphold the the Billy Graham principle the way that he should have. That that's what he's being removed for because he didn't right. do it in a digital way where he didn't copy his wife on all the messages. Right. I mean, and this is where the church is going because the church wants to think the best of the pastor, which is normal, because if you've seen the pastor sitting in that way, you've already accepted that it's okay because nobody called him on it before. There was a woman like two months before he was put on indefinite leave, there was a woman that came up two months before and said, I've seen the messages. These are not appropriate. The concerns were about Matt's use of social media, of one-on-one communication with a woman who was not his wife. And so what we did in this is we commissioned an outside independent review of his messages. This was conducted by an independent law firm. And it took them two months. They sent it out to lawyers to look at it. And I'm not sure why the elders thought that you had to go to a secular law firm to determine what was sin and what wasn't sin, which seems to be a problem in and of itself. And then they come back and they speak very, you know, legal language. This is language that was because the law firm recommended that he be suspended. I mean, the whole thing is just so just such a wrong way to deal with the sin. But the world and a law firm is always going to tell you don't expose, somebody might sue. And the Bible says expose because you want to kill sin. But then, you know, there's also the whole movement, you know, about harassment in the workplace, this and that. So, you know, in one sense, the world's standards in certain areas are rising. And so, you know, is this just a reaction to say, well, we have to do at least what the world would do? I mean, and I want to say something that you've kind of said a couple times, and I want to say it just to be really clear, is when you are vague in this way, there's this part of it, like we said, people will speculate about things. But what is most likely, what is most likely is the things that need to be dealt with in that church are things that no one is going to think need to be dealt with because it was present in a leader. And so it's like they're like fish who are swimming in a water, and the water is wrong. And they don't even think you need to think about the water. They think there are foreign things in the water. It's like, and this is, again, where yeast is important. When you look at a piece of dough that has yeast in it, you can't pick the yeast out from the dough. I mean, you don't look at it and go, oh, here's the yeast and here's it. It's the yeast is all throughout the dough. Right. And so there's this part of it where, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's homogenous. It's, it's, it's evenly, it's distributed all through. And so the things that actually need to be brought to the attention of the church are things they probably won't even think they need to think about because it's already affected. Like you said, I think which said in the beginning, it's already affected the culture. I mean, they're really similar languages here, right? Like right. The culture and all, I mean, we use it for bacterial culture. We use it for these things where something that has been, has been affected by this that's what needs to be shown. And so, I mean, I'm not really familiar with the Matt Chandler thing, right? But I was very involved with the Doug Phillips when that sin was, when his sin was exposed. I found out about it about a week before. 
maybe a little bit longer than that before and watch the process being worked with before it was all exposed. And when they exposed it, the letter of the board of NCFIC at the time was ridiculous. I mean, it was just, you know, it was all this innuendo. And it was very much written like this, where it was far worse than what they were saying in their letter. But even worse was there was all kinds of sins that had already been accepted in the congregation. The sin that if you thought it was for the betterment of a ministry, lying was fine. They didn't deal with that. The fact that Doug Phillips could have a close relationship with a 15, 16, 17-year-old girl that everybody in the church knew about, everybody said that's fine with a girl other, I mean, (laughs) he wasn't related to her. And there were all kinds of sins that had already been accepted in the congregation before they could get to the point where they went, this is so bad because he was chased down the street with, by the sun with a rifle or a shotgun. Right. And, I mean, that it reached that point, and then they give a milk toast response of here's what went wrong when it was actually far more serious. And the church continued because they didn't want to – I mean, it ended up all being exposed later – but the church didn't want to deal with the reality of what was going on and the reality of the sins, like, you know, one of his sins where loyalty is one of the most important traits of anybody. It's throughout Scripture. No, it's not. We're supposed to be loyal to God. Right, loyal to the truth. Loyal, <laughs> loyal to, to the truth, loyal to Christ. But he taught that, and so the congregation had to imbibe that and believe that and held that, and nobody was confronting them in their sin. It's when it gets exposed that then people started to go, but wait a second, you mean you, we shouldn't lie to make sure vision form continues? We shouldn't do this? Because they're thinking, no, this is the right thing to do, because that's what they've been taught for a long time. And so when you get a, a something like this, you end up leaving the congregation at a point where they can't see what's unacceptable that they should be able to see in their life and the life of the congregation. I mean, and we forget some of these things because, like, there are, like you said, there are practices and they become normal. And we forget, like, historically. Like, it used to be everybody had animals. And so if you went, the streets were, like, covered with, with animal feces. And everybody was used to dealing with animal feces. And people would get sick because the water and the, you know, all these things were getting contaminated with it. And once you're able to actually get rid of everything being animals or them, you know, you're able to actually shunt things out and get a sewer system in place, all of a sudden things change. And so, I mean, there are times where the culture of, you know, it's like you've got this church and they constantly keep getting, you know, foot and mouth disease, or, you know, and you find out that at their church, it's really common to drink out of the toilet. You know, that everybody drinks out of the toilet and nobody thinks anything of it. And there's this part where you go, that's ridiculous. But that is what sin is. Sin is this, it's this practice that leads to death, and you become accustomed to it. Right. And so, I mean, it, and so there is this part of it where, I mean, this, I mean, and it has to be spoken of, I think, in that stark of a language, because otherwise you don't, you know, it's, it's not just therapeutic for the individual. It's not just for the rehabilitation of, of this one particular little thing you've heard about. It's going wait a minute, if this is going on and this is what we normally do, then let's go through the kitchen and let's find out where all these other things are. Does everybody else do this? Is this how you drink your water? Is this where, when I ask you to get me a cup of water, where did you get it from? <laughs> you know what I, I mean? It's important to ask these things. And I think, I think that's just, this is just, I'm just trying to reemphasize the whole fact of 
we know how to think about other things that are contaminants. We don't think about sin fundamentally as if it's a contaminant. And we look at things and say, well, they have to rise to a certain level before we're going to deal with it instead of putting the leaven out. We go, well, if it, if it explodes to twice the size of a lump, then we'll deal with the leaven. But until then, we're not going to, which means that you keep accepting the leaven. Another example in the, in the Matt Chandler case was the case of, I mean, Mark Driscoll ended up in 2012 being removed as the, the, the pastor of Mars Hill and also from the presidency of Acts 29. And, you know, Matt Chandler had come in in the beginning part of that year as a board member. Before that, he had just been leading one of the subnetworks, but he had obviously had a lot of contact with Driscoll. He knew what was going on with, at some level before the church finally explodes and forces Driscoll out. But then, like, almost a short time afterwards, the, the CEO, the one who does the day-to-day operations rather than the pe- person who's, like, the face of it, which would be, you know, Matt Chandler, before that, Mark Driscoll. Um, I think the name is Timos, Timos, something like that. He was, you know, two employees came and said, basically, you're doing, you're abusive in your leadership. You're they came saying, to Timos saying this. They came to Timos saying this. And Timus warned them that they had to be 100% loyal or they'd be fired. And he, like, and so they reported this to Matt Chandler. And Matt Chandler said, okay. And then the next day, two board members called these two people in and said, you're fired. Because nobody touches Timus because he's acting the same way that Mark Driscoll did a couple years before. And then it's five years later, I guess it would, I think three years before, but it's five years later where finally Timus's behavior gets as bad as Mark Driscoll's was at Mars Hill, where they finally go, we have to just get rid of it, get rid of him. But even when they do the announcement to get rid of him, they go, well, he used language that's in a, he's been under so much stress because he's expanded the network from 800 churches to or from 300 churches to 800 churches. It used to just be in the United States and he's expanded it worldwide. And so he's just so stressed. We're going to go a different direction with a different CEO. And so we're going to give him four months pay. And then all of a sudden, you know, that gets released. And within a couple of days, maybe even within a day, Chandler had to come back and go, okay, so we had a whole bunch of reports of how abusive he is as a leader Right, He was trained by Mark Driscoll. They didn't actually deal with Mark Driscoll's sin beyond Mark Driscoll. They said, he's gotten so huge, we need to deal with his sin. But they didn't deal with the sin in the church. They didn't deal with the sin in the people that were trained. They just waited until somebody else got the same size as Driscoll before they knocked him down. And they're not dealing with leaven the way the leaven was supposed to be dealt with. And this was known with you know, Matt Chandler, knew this. He was the one that was leading this. He was the one that was guiding this. And, you know, this is why I tried to start with the idea that we look at that one person like Mark Driscoll, and he gets removed, but all the people that were accepting of it beforehand, they're not going to say this should be removed. They're going to say what he did before was okay. He just went too far. Yes, I didn't sleep with the woman. I just dated her. I just did other things, but I didn't actually commit adultery. And then you commit adultery, and they go, oh, it's too far. But the rest of the church is still going, it's fine to date women that aren't your wife. 
and I'm not using this direct example, I'm not saying that was what's going on here, but that's the mindset, and that's the mindset that needs to change in the church. To, you know, some of the things that was mentioned before, you know, is this the tip of the iceberg? Well, you know, there could be an alternative, and, you know, I don't know much about the particular people here, but perhaps they're saying, well, we had these issues in the past, so we're going to hold them to a higher standard. This isn't the tip of the iceberg, and you know, you know, sure, there's some mistakes going about it, but we're gonna we're gonna try to take things seriously that we didn't take seriously before. And before Driscoll could say these things in the pulpit, and now, you know, we're gonna fire you for saying or put you on leave for saying it in a private message. Except that we know, and we don't know that in terms of language. You could be completely right, which is where some people are going to. But we do know that in terms of management and, and loyalty and the demand that you have absolute 100% obedience. That was what Driscoll was doing in Mars Hill. That's what Timmis was doing. That's what Matt Chandler accepted. In, in this message, none of it is saying this is why he's removed. They're saying that sin was acceptable. I mean, Timmis, he had to be removed, but the fact that Matt Chandler hit him for five years didn't need to be removed for that. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to myself and to the audience the way I talk to my children when we're talking about some. The point of this is not to fix Acts 29. If you're listening to this, unless you work at Acts 29, unless you have leadership there, the point of this is to say, how should I think about sin in my life? How should I think about sin in my church? I mean, and I'm I'm really, I mean, because if you're sitting here going, well, you're jumping to these, we're not jumping to conclusions about Matt Chandler. We're not jumping, I mean, what we're saying is, is there should be an expectation that this is how sin works. If and in see, certain parts, we just have evidence that that's I right. Mean, that, and, that's and so, like, like with Timmis and things like that, right? It's 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 very because like with with Driscoll, when Driscoll left, they didn't publish everything with Driscoll until he went and started another church, and that church blew up. They didn't even you know they didn't even release those things, the actual until documents he was of, doing the same. And so thing, I mean, yes. so there's this part of it where I mean, right? Fixing something here doesn't fix all the damage that's been done. Fixing something in one place doesn't it doesn't cure all the other people who are sick. And so I mean there's just this again, it's just think about these things. The point of this isn't to go, oh, how can we go fix X twenty nine? I don't have a responsibility right. to go fix right. fix X twenty. I'm so thankful. I have to worry about my problems. But you have to think about yours and God says you should think in these ways. When you see someone else fall, you should ask a question and go, how can I keep myself from falling? And that is what's going on here. And I think, I mean, I just don't get sucked into, I need to fix, because you don't want to get into gossip. You don't want to try to figure out everything that happened here. That is not the point of it. And so we're not trying to, we're not trying to do that. What we're trying to do is to really get people to consider how leaven spreads through the church. And we're warned about this in 1 Corinthians 5, 4 through 8. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out that old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And I think the point is, when you see this lump, and it says, purge the old leaven, right? When, when they celebrated Passover, and they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were supposed to search their house for the leaven and remove all the leaven. They weren't supposed to go, oh, I found some leaven here, I'm done. Right. 
And that's what I see the church doing as we go, Mark Driscoll sinned in this way. He was abusive to his employees, to the people in the church. So we're just going to remove Mark Driscoll, but we're not going to consider all the other people that looked at his example and said, it's fine if I do the same thing. And there's pastors, like the pastor in Australia is writing and going, yeah, this is, this is why I left, because it was like this. And you hear all these people. Timis used to be an associate pastor with Mark Driscoll. This is the leaven. They didn't purge the leaven. They dealt with Mark Driscoll. And part of the way that you purge the leaven, like you said, is they didn't expose Mark Driscoll until much later. The way you purge the leaven is sometimes you just kill it by shining light on it. Because if all of a sudden you raise it up and go, these are all the things he did and these are all wrong, then some of those associate pastors that were doing exactly the same thing, thinking this is the right way to lead, which is what Timus was doing, that if you do that and you confront them with, no, this is sin, some of them will just say, you're right, I need to stop. Right. But if you just go and give a milk toast answer and go, yeah, he was caught and some people were disgruntled with him, so it's time for him to leave the church – which was, I mean, that's a paraphrase, but that's not that far off from what their original message was when he stepped down. You don't actually deal with the sins and you don't actually purge the leaven. Because part of it is is when you expose it and you actually walk through it, you actually have to teach. I mean, and, and when you teach, people ask questions. You know, I mean, this, I mean, and right and now— And people say, you're teaching and you're an associate pastor. Didn't you say this to me before? <laughs> right, and so, I mean, and it, right, and it becomes—I mean, there's this part where right now people are asking questions— but there's not a clear weight. I mean, again, maybe within the church, maybe they're being clear. But, I mean, these things would come out if they were telling them within the church. But, I mean, but within the church, it forces you to actually teach on what sin is. It forces you to actually go, no, this is a right way to be friends with one another. No, that wasn't harsh. That was loving. No, that was harsh. That was, you know, I mean, this is gossip. This is not, you know, I mean, it forces you to walk through those things and make real distinctions using Scripture. And that strengthens the church. And that actually, like I said, that, that exposing it, it kills sin because all of a sudden the church actually has to decide. Because part of the way the leaven is you preach on these things, and there will be people who leave. And this is an, this is an obvious point, but the, the from Scripture is an important phrase there. Because, you know, there's examples where, you know, a pastor does something wrong, they have to be removed, and then, well, let's going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, let's reject all his teaching and go a different direction because look how bad he was. It must have been because of the things he was teaching. And ignoring the step of, were they biblical? Right. right. Because... You can be 5% error and 95% true, and the 95% true you don't want to throw out for the 5% error that grew to destroy the pastor. It's a, I mean, it's a pretty bad statement, but you could look at it as a template moving forward for here's, here, here's a, a list of sermons. Here's a list of issues that we need to deal with topically. Publish them out to your church. Say, hey, these are things that we're saying we're going on. Here's why they're problems, and we're going to talk through those details. You know, and, right. And what you shouldn't do is what happened at the village church. What happened at the village church is Matt Chandler rant, read this statement, and of course, the congregation immediately gave him a standing ovation. What did you just teach everybody? You don't actually have to expose sin. You just have to say, I'm a sinner, and you become a hero. That's essentially what happened. This is the opposite of purging the leaven. This is putting sugar on it. 
That's what happens in most of these cases is that you're mixing sugar into the lump because you're saying, worst case, you go up front and everybody will say, isn't he such a brave Christian man that, yes, he did these sins, but he's brave up here to not tell us what they are, just that I sin. Another passage relevant to all of this pertains to just our, our duty to our duty to spread light where things are where where you want to cover things up where you think in the moment it'd be better if this was hidden but scripture contradicts that so Ephesians 5 starting in verse 8 for you were once darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness righteousness and truth finding out what is acceptable to the lord And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. And so what, watching this happen many times, what the congregation is told is if we gave the details, that would bring shame on the name of Christ. In what this is saying is the shame is what was done. The exposing it is not what's shameful. The, what's shameful is whatever language he used. It's not shameful to the name of Christ to expose details of sin. That is not true. That's categorically not true. And almost everybody that gets caught in sin that's a pastor says the same thing. You can't expose it. It will bring shame on this ministry. And it is the opposite The purpose of Christ came to deal with sin and to just say we're going to continue to cover it up doesn't glorify Christ. Exactly the opposite. There's another way you could characterize it by saying a pastor says, hey, if you expose this, you're going to bring shame on this ministry. And there could be a sense in which that's right if the ministry is not a ministry about Christ, if it's a ministry that's built on the personality and the charisma of that pastor you knock that pastor down a rung, well, of course it's going to bring shame on it, and of course the ministry is now going to start tottering. But that would be a good thing. Right. And remember, as you read these verses, right, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. And he says in Ephesians 5.8, but now you are light in the Lord. So one of the things that's scary about this that people at churches like this should recognize is if you are not exposing the sin— If you're allowing it to be hidden, well, God says, no, it's manifested by the light, not by your actions, even though your actions are how it's manifest. But if you are light, if you are truth, if you are righteousness, if you're all goodness, it's going to be exposed. In these churches that go, oh, yeah, we can just keep this hidden, that says something about the very character of the church, because it is the believers that are light, not their actions. I mean, you know, the, what little we know about the story that's surrounding this is Matt Chandler and a woman are having some kind of a social media interaction. Both their spouses know about it, and everybody supposedly is just fine with this. But a friend of somebody— Of the woman right, who's receiving them. Is, there's one person who says, hey, you know what? This is not right. And, you know— this, right, that's the manifestation. Whatever whatever <laughs> makes manifest is light. You know, so there's a lot of what 
whatever's going on in that conversation that the elders thought was serious enough to put him on a leave of absence. Or serious enough to turn over to attorneys to figure out what should be done. They, yeah, <laughs> it was serious enough that, that they had to deal with it at some level. Is because there's one person who said, hey, you have to deal with this. And and I think one of the things that we're doing this podcast for is to encourage people to be bolder about this. Be, encourage people to be more, you know, more willing to do that. And I, I hear you say something like that, and I could think, okay, you're telling us what we need is we need to have a culture of, of, of reporters Exposure. and investigators <laughs> in, in the church. And I, when, and I, I want— I don't think that's what you're saying as the starting point. That's that's like the last thing that happens. When you you're, find out about it, you have a duty to expose it when you, you know about it. Right, but but you you're also saying talk about it, deal with it when it's small. Absolutely. And you know, you can you can get to the point where hey, somebody could have a sin that they're that they've been nursing along for a long time and they've been successful at keeping it dark and and once somebody finds out about it, hey, it's big enough, it's blown up that it's got to be dealt with. But typically speaking, those big sins are preceded by bunches of little sins. And the encouragement really is when you see your brother or your sister in sin, if it's a tiny sin, talk to them about it when it's a tiny sin. And that's just that's just life in the body. That's how you deal with these sorts of things so that you don't get blow-ups or you get fewer blow-ups. Or it's a, it's a one of the things that God has given us as a tool for, hey, you know what? I saw you doing something. Let's talk about that. That was that was sin, you know. Right. And and just knowing that somebody else sees your sin and is willing to call it a sin is a break on you feeding that sin and fostering it to become the destructive sin that now everybody on the internet and podcasts is talking about. I mean, again, it's useful to go back to scriptural pictures of sin, like in the parable of the sower. There's someone who falls away because they're choked out by the weeds come up and they're choked out by the care of the world, cares of the world. And the deceitfulness of riches. And the weeds would be visible. If you walked into a garden and there was a plant that was choked out by weeds, you could look at it. And if somebody went, I had no idea that these things could harm the plant, you would go, you don't know much about plants. And if they went, I had no idea anything that could be done for this plant to help it, you would go, you don't know much about plants. And so that should be our general attitude towards when churches talk about things and they just go and they talk in similar ways. There was someone who was consumed with sin and they just, they needed to step away. And there's nothing for you really to know here. You don't need to know anything. This has nothing to do with you you you're, we're not similar in any way. There couldn't be similar things that you sh don't even. You should go. You either don't know much about sin, or you don't care much about other people. And I would even say you should go further. You should go. No, I've been touched by the leaven. I need to know how to scrub it off of me. Right. I need to know how to cleanse it from me because I have been touched by the leaven, and it will grow unless I take care of it. Unless it's purged. And that's what the response should be when things happen is we need to know the details so that we can go, wow, this is what we accepted because it has affected you. Because it has a good chance taken hold. they're calling them supporting vines as opposed to weeds. You know what I mean? Because right. I mean, people can see things. They're actually spinning them. In, and that's what I mean is you're actually being told that these things that you see, those are normal. 
they don't hurt plants. They don't hurt plants at all. Just don't worry about them. Matt Chandler committed sins of whatever kind that caused him to be removed, to be to be publicly disciplined in such and such way. It's this is kind of the reverse scenario of the woman caught in adultery that was brought to Jesus. And, you, and you, anybody who analyzes that story and says, well, she was caught in the very act. Why did they bring only the woman and not the man? And in this case, it's like, okay, so if he's committing particular sets of sins that are worthy of a public rebuke, this was a two-party conversation. But, but it's just inappropriate for a pastor. I'm not exactly sure what that means, like Joshua said before, but— Sure, but there, I mean, they said other, there was other content right. to that, that there was a familiarity, that they were crossing brother-sister lines— so so this is a sort of thing where we already know that his sin has affected at least one other congregant. And you've got to deal with that now. You've got to say, here's what the sin is. Here's the line that's, that was crossed. Here's how you don't cross that line. Here's how you put up the pr appropriate boundaries. Here's, how, here's the red flags along the way. Here's the points at which you could have stopped this while it was still a tiny thing. Hey, if your spouse knows that you're communicating with a member of the opposite sex frequently, they should say something about that to you. I said before that one of the reasons that I've seen churches do this where they just say we can't expose it because it will bring shame. The other reason that I see people do this is they just go, oh, this is all covered by the blood of Christ. So it's all forgiven. Isn't that wonderful that it's forgiven? It, the, we don't need to expose it because it's been forgiven. He's, I mean, and they're basically saying whatever it was, and I don't know the level of seriousness, but they're basically saying, but this doesn't make us question his, you know, his testimony or anything. And yet when you read 1 Corinthians 5, 4 through 6, it says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? When they're saying your glorying's not good, they were glorying that this fact could that this guy could have his father's wife and that he's been forgiven. You don't need to put him out of the church. He's been he's fine. Instead of going no, that's not good just to glory in the idea that God has covered these sins. Now, if he has godly repentance, you bring him back in because then you have testimony that God covered his sins. But God scourges every child he receives. The idea that you don't do discipline on somebody because, you know, we're just going to say his, his sins were covered by the blood of Christ. Well, you don't know that until he's, you see the fruits of repentance. And there's, I mean, there's varying severities of sins. There's a severity of sin that's being talked about here that's worthy of excommunication. We don't have evidence that right. that's what's happened with Chandler. All we know is that there was the level of sin that caused him to be at least temporarily removed from office, which would indicate something less serious. But all of this still applies. Your glorying is not good. Right. Don't give the guy a standing ovation. Right. It's really important to remember what Christ came to do. You know, it says in 1 John 3, 2 through 5, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So when you go, well, we're just going to cover up the sin and say, you know, we're, we're going to hide it and say, well, God get, forgave it. Or we say, 
you know, well, we can't bring shame on the name of Jesus Christ by, by exposing sin. We're actually doing the opposite of what Christ came to do. Christ was manifested to take away our sins, not just to forgive them, but to actually take them away, which is more than just forgiving them. And so one of the reasons that you expose is you go, this is the power of Christ. He doesn't just say, I'm going to ignore your sins. He says, I'm going to take away your sins. And we're just, when we start to have this attitude of don't expose things, it's really an attitude that starts with the misunderstanding of the gospel and the misunderstanding of the purpose for Christ's coming. Christ came to produce a new heaven and a new earth in which no sin is, no corruption is. He came to take away sin. Scripture does talk about specific things with elders and specific things with bringing accusations against elders. And so, I mean, that is something that when you're dealing with actual church discipline issues, that there are specific processes in place for that, that you have to take into consideration. So for instance, in 1 Timothy five nineteen through 21, do not receive an accusation against an elder, except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. This didn't happen. He wasn't rebuked in the presence of all. Now you can go, but he read the letter in the presence of all. But they gave him a standing ovation. That means they didn't see it as a rebuke. They saw it as a congratulations. They saw it as... This is something that shows how heroic he is. This is something that shows how brave he is that he would expose the sin. They didn't see it as a rebuke. You know, I'm not saying it's a good response, but how many those people in the church, how many times have they been to a church where, you know, they come to church and then the senior pastor reads a statement saying that he sinned? I mean, how many times has that happened? How do, I'm they, not, know, how do they know what they're supposed to do? And, you know, my point is that the elders did the wrong thing. Because the elders clearly did not rebuke him so that the others feared. And that's what they were to do. And I will tell you what, as a leader that's been involved in those circumstances, all you have to do is tell the truth and not sugarcoat it. You actually say what happened. And people fear. It's not like you have to work at it. It's really simple. You just tell the truth. And you don't try to hide things. You don't try to cover them up. You just say... This is what happened. You think that you're setting, you think that you're protecting the congregation by withholding that kind of information, but really what you're doing is you're, you are creating the environment where a church split is almost inevitable. Because you're, you're going you're gonna to have all of these speculations about well, what did he really do or what you said he really did wasn't that bad. You know, as we talk about this and talk about the responsibility to rebuke in the presence of all, and that it takes two or three witnesses, and there is a process. It's important to, for us to recognize at the same time, we are light. We have a duty to expose it. And we can't just go, well, you know, two or three witnesses, I'm only one witness. I just close my eyes to the sin. That's not the point of the verse. Because as it says in, in Leviticus 19, verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. And if you just go, I'm going to ignore the sin, understand that's hatred. You're hating your brother, and you're going to bear that sin, and you basically are guilty of that same sin that you're ignoring dealing with in your brother. And so even though it is harder, and it should be harder, because true faithful pastors, right, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There will be people that lie about you. That's promised, right? That's a promise of Scripture. And so if you're an elder, you're setting yourself up in a position where more people will lie about you. 
And so that's why, you know, you have to be more careful about witnesses and other things because of the nature of the position. But at the same time, that gives no excuse just to say, I'm going to close the eyes, my eyes on my pastor's sin. Because whatever sin is accepted in the pastor's life, everybody in the church is going to go, that sin's okay. Maybe not everybody, but that's, that becomes the standard of the church that that sin is acceptable. I mean, it's, it's an easy argument to make in your own heart of, oh, well, if it's okay for him, it's okay for me. And you, you measure yourself by the pastor instead of the Bible, which that's a sin in and of itself. You shouldn't do that. But it's pretty, that's a pretty easy sin. You don't have to work hard to fall into that kind and of inherently sin. inherently in there, in the role of a pastor, is to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Right. And you can't get away from that. And so if you're saying following Christ means I can do these sins, then somebody else can go, hey, I'm going to follow him as he follows Christ, so I'm going to go do these sins. It's inherent in the role. And you stop thinking about it as a sin. Right. I mean, and I, th I think part of it is, too, is when you look at rebuking in the presence of all, it's not always a super formal punishment thing where the person has to step down when this happens. Right. I mean, look at when Paul rebukes Peter. It was over something that was serious. There is no indication that Peter had to step away from the ministry for a period of time. That Peter, I mean, but he rebuked him, and it was, I mean, it was a serious thing. It was a very major thing, and he did it in front of everybody. And, it, and by all accounts of Scripture, Peter's response was to repent. It was something that Peter could repent of in a way that was immediate and clear. There was not, you know what I mean? It was not something that had been going on for a very long time. And like if Paul had rebuked him and Peter said, you're right. And then Peter went back and did it. And Paul, these would be different things. But I mean, there is this part of where the, the culture there was such that Paul was willing to rebuke Peter in the presence of all before this became something that Peter had to be disqualified from ministry. And I mean, right. and th I mean, and I think that's just, I think that's something that's very, it's very alien. The idea, I mean, of, I mean, there, you know, there are times it's it's hard for people to accept someone else telling them they're wrong, but Scripture says this is what wise men love. Right. I mean, Scripture says wise men love it, and so there's just this part of it where in the church, do we, do we expect our elders to be wise? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, mm -hmm. so there is this part of it where we we just we need to change the attitude in our mind of rebuke. Because if you read Proverbs, rebuke isn't a bad thing. It's bad whenever you've waited until the problem is so horrible. The rebuke isn't bad, but the problem has grown so bad that you think now it needs a rebuke. No, it needed a rebuke a long time ago when you saw it. And I think there's this part where, I mean, and rebuke means to, to beat back. Right? I mean, I mean, it, and so, I mean, there's this part of it where, I mean, you're, you're pushing them back into the place where they need to be. And that's exactly what Paul did with Peter. So when we think about dealing with sins in leadership, especially in churches, there are a lot of churches that put up with a lot of things where what they should do is put the person out. And they're not willing to because they've got a mega church and who else can lead 15,000 people? Because it's hard to be charismatic enough to have 15,000 people be willing to come and listen to you every Sunday. I mean, these things are hard things that take a specific skill set. And so there's a lot of people who end up going, well, we're not going to deal with their sin because what's going to happen? What's going to happen to the church if we don't deal with the sin? And the reality is the Bible says what's going to happen if you don't. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside, but those who are outside God judges? 
Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. And in Scripture, this is a quote from Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy it keeps saying, you have to do these judgments. You have to be putting these people to death because otherwise the sin will grow in your congregation, in the, the nation of Israel, and you have to put away the evil person. That's the way you stop it. And God gave it to us to judge those who are inside. We have that responsibility. And if we don't put away the evil person, what we're saying is that evil is acceptable in the church. And we need to be willing to do it regardless of what the cost is, because the cost of not doing it is incredibly high. So on these podcasts, we talk about culture and we talk about things. But if you come to our church and you listen to sermons, our sermons aren't on the world. The sermons are on what Christians need to do as the, you know, I mean, I mean, right. and there's this well, they're part, on what the scripture says, hopefully. <laughs> right. But I mean, but what I'm saying is, is there's a tendency and it's very easy in churches to focus on judging the world in instead of judging yourselves and and the church does speak judgment against the world but that's not within the church within the growth of the church within the ministry of the church that's not the focus of the church the focus of the church is on the purity of the church the focus of the church is on edifying one another to love and good works and so there's just part of it where there's this thing he say i mean paul's very much putting Stop spending your effort on focusing on the outside. Deal with the sin within your church. Deal with deal with the sin that's within. That will have a much greater effect on the outside. Is if the church actually cleans itself. I mean, you, the verse in the Old Testament talk about if my people who are called by my name will turn. You know, I mean, God, it, it's God's being very yes. God's yeah. being very clear. This is where the focus needs to be. And I mean, I think you know it's. That's what Paul's saying here. And one, I mean, in the beginning of it is don't have this. I mean, I, I grew up in churches where the sermons were all on homosexuality. The, ser the churches, the sermons were all on people who wanted to go and drink beer and, you know, and get drunk and go, you know, and it's like, and that, that wasn't, that wasn't the church, but it was really easy to preach on those things because, because that wasn't the church. Right. Because it didn't hurt. Didn't step on the toes of the congregants. Right. But it's easy to sound like a fire breather. Right. And really, you know, and preach against sin, but not actually preach against any kind of sin that your congregation is currently right. being tempted by. And one of the problems with that is what you're doing is puffing them up with pride because you're going, these are the evil things in the world where you know that none of them have those things. So all their responses is, hey, I'm a pretty good person. And you can be a really, you can be orthodox, you can, you can preach through scripture, but... But you do have to say, hey, is this me? Is this us? I mean, one of the other things that has become a pattern, and I'm somewhat hesitant to re-raise this subject, but the idea of the standing ovation after <laughs> Matt Chandler. This has become a pattern. And you see it with Matt Chandler, but I think in even worse cases with Andy Savage. I don't know if you remember Andy Savage, but Andy Savage went up on a Sunday morning and he said, I committed adultery. And the woman who wants her name to be known, so Jules uh, Woodson. This wasn't that long ago. This was like this was just a few months right. ago. Right. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. And he says these things that he committed adultery and says, you know, I need to step down from the ministry. And everybody applauds him. And then the woman who he started to groom when she was 14, and then he molested her on his his office floor at 16 and had a five-year affair with her 
she stands up with her now husband and goes, everything he just told you is a total lie. It wasn't one time that he had this, you know, he, and he, she goes through and explains everything. And then she walks out and they all go pray for him. And they'll go, oh, isn't this wonderful? And nobody talks to her. She just leaves. That's rejoicing over sin. That's not dealing with it. That's rejoicing over it. Everybody, you know, one of the things you talk about sometimes is that the five points of Calvinism are just five specific points that people disagree with. But this actually is one of the five points. This is perseverance of the saints. And what you're saying is, is that the person who did this, this was not the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in their life. The fruits of the of the spirit and the fruits of the flesh are evident and those who walk in the flesh do not have the spirit is what it says in Galatians And part of the problem is is we've turned sin which John says anybody who says he doesn't sin is a liar and then John turns around and says those who sin and walking in sin and the pattern of sin are not in Christ do not know God and so John's being really clear here that there, I mean that, and what we want to do today is we want to say that all sins are equal. All sins are equal in every way. And everybody sins, so you can't really say that nobody won't go to heaven. But well, everybody, that's, right. That's universalism without, well, people say, no, it's not universalism, but that is universalism. Right. If you say all sins are the same and everybody sins, then you're saying Christ did nothing by coming. Right. And so there's this part of it where what you're saying is, is and what Scripture teaches, because it talks about specific sins, that to do those things, to walk in that pattern, this is not the fruit of the, this is not the Holy Spirit working in your life. You're not saying they were saved and lost their salvation. You were saying they were never saved. For him to go to heaven, he must repent and become a Christian. And this has been manifest in his life that he was never saved. God is being merciful to to his church. He's always merciful to his church. But one of the things that's been happening is there's a lot of people who have been sinning for a long time that are in leadership of large mega churches that God is exposing. And how we deal with that and how we, we think about what we should respond is so important because it is about whether we repent and whether we fix the sin that we've accepted or if we just let it grow more and more. And yeah, the megachurches have a, a voice that affects more than just the megachurches. But it's true for every church. When you see sin, what do you do with it? Because either you will destroy it or it will destroy you. And if all we do is go, oh, there's sin exposed, let's just deal with the superficial aspects. Instead of saying, how did that leaven in the church affect the rest of the church? You should expect the sin to grow. You should expect the leaven to spread through the whole lump and to cause real problems. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.